Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you taking notes, go ahead and take out your notes. We have something special today. And um, take out your Bible. Open up your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. And today is a special uh, message. It's our 13th week in First and Second Peter. Come on, that's good, right? And um, in our 13th week, we come to, a, to, to the end. And we conclude with this message. And we finish it with chapter 3, and I think Peter did an amazing job as the Holy Spirit gave him these words to write and to lead and to instruct the church. What a perfect ending to a letter or to sets of letters that the church was going to receive. And I love how he ended this one, and I think it's, it's important because in this moment, he's calling the church to focus, to not lose hope. To make sure that they focus on their spiritual life and that they're constantly growing. And not only that they're constantly growing, but that they always look forward to what's to come. How many of you remember the messages and the times that we've said here, forward and up, forward and up, forward and up. That's our calling, to look forward and up. It's never to look down. uh, It's never to look back or to the sides. You get distracted. Always forward and up. So you could see what's ahead and you could see what's coming. Amen? So make sure uh, you remember that. And that's what Peter's doing. That's what Peter's writing with that urgency um, as he closes this off. And really, that's the name of this message. It's the end. It's the end of his letter. And it's to grow spiritually and it's to look forward and up um, always into what's to come. So we're going to go ahead and and just be blessed by this. Um, Are you all in 2 Peter chapter 3? Let's start off in verse 1. I believe God's going to speak to us, uh, uh, and God's going to do a, a great work as he always does with his word, and uh, that the Lord would remove uh, anything that I may want to say from my flesh or from my own desires or thoughts, and that, Lord, you may only speak from your heart, that heaven would be heard, and that your word would be spoken in truth today, in Jesus' name. And we say, all right, in verse 1, he goes on as he continues from the end here of chapter 2, and he says this in uh, chapter 3, verse 1. I'll read verse 1 and 2. He says, This is my second letter to you, dear friends, and in both of them I have tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and to refresh your memory from the new living. It says in verse 2, I want you to remember what the holy prophets said long ago and what our Lord and Savior commanded through your apostles. If you remember verse 2, he's still going on with how he ended in chapter 1, speaking about the holy men of God and the prophets that spoke his word. And we find ourselves here in this chapter in verses 1 and 2, and notice this continual flow of his words here. And he speaks about, I've tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking. I've tried to refresh your memory. I I like that wordage there. I like what Peter is saying here when he speaks about wholesome thinking and to refresh their memory. We've read this before, actually, when 
when I, when I read verse 1, I immediately thought of chapter 1 of 2 Peter. Because this is not the first time that Peter says this. He writes something very similar in his introduction in his second letter. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 and verse 13, I'm going to remind you of what he says. Remember, this is one letter, chapter, uh, 2 Peter is one letter. So the introduction of his letter, he says this. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Though you know and are established in the present truth, yes, I think it is right, as long as I am in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you. Peter says that in the introduction of his letter to now say this in the closing of his letter. He's, he started it and he's ending it very similar in the same way, using some same words. And now he says to his brothers and sisters, I've tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and to refresh your memory. So Peter, in his letters to the church, what he's doing here, he sought to awaken, to awaken his readers' minds and the readers' pure minds and specifically to the dangers of what we've learned in last week's to the phony leaders. Phony leaders who claim to be Christians. And Peter needed them to awaken their pure minds because there's phony leaders amongst you. And I need you to be awakened to those dangers. He knew the importance of reminding the church of the message of the word, the scriptural message. And what's beautiful about Peter, he knew the importance of the scriptural message of the Old Testament and even the one that was presently being preached by him and even by Paul. I say Paul. Because we're going to see in a moment, he actually speaks about Paul in his closing. He actually mentions Paul in his closing. And he says in verse 2, again, I'll remind you, he says this. That you may be mindful. Everyone say mindful. Yeah. Mindful of the words which were spoken before. And that's what Peter is saying. That your mind would be in thought of that. You would be mindful of the words. These are words that we've already spoken. What, what is Peter telling the church here? What, what are we receiving from just this verse? Well, I believe as you read Peter's heart and his letter, Peter believed that the words in Scripture were important. I hope that as you're sitting here, you believe that the words in Scripture are important. I pray you're not one of those that says, well... I only take these as important and the rest of these I don't really pay attention to. No, the whole book is important. Every letter is important. Every poem is important. Every song is important. Everything from Genesis to Revelation has great importance. And Peter believed that. And he was urging the church to be mindful and to constantly be reminded of them. Be reminded of these words. Don't take any word written in this text lightly. And that's his heart as he's writing this letter to the church. Don't 
take this lightly. What you hear from me as you read this letter, he says, don't take it lightly. What you've heard from Paul, don't take it lightly. What you've heard from the Old Testament prophets, don't take it lightly. None of it should be taken lightly. But consider each one. Study each one. Take heart to each one. How many of you have the same mindset when you open up the word of God? We take heart. We take it serious. It's, a, it's the reverent word of God written for us. It's the letter of, that our beloved has written for us. And Peter's telling the church, don't ever take it lightly. Some of these words were written with blood. Some with death looming over them. Some with very deep godly revelation. And so on. And what Peter is saying is so important. These words, they came at a price. Are you with me? Where's Peter? As he writes this, where is he? Anyone know? We're on week 13. You should know. Where? Rome. In prison. Ready to what? Die. Any what? Moment. I know. Fill in the blanks. <laughs> Made it easier for you. He's about to die. So as he writes this letter, we see the urge not to take it lightly. Because the reality is, as the church is reading this letter, these are the last words out of Peter's mouth. This is the last time we will receive one of his writings. This is the last time that Peter would give us uh, 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 an encouragement. The last time that Peter will give us instruction. This is the last time that Peter will lay down theological truths, doctrine for us. This is going to be the last time that Peter does this. He's in Rome. He's imprisoned. And he's about to go to eternity. This is it. So as Peter is writing to the church, he's reminding them, not just me, but many more like me and those that came before me. All of this came at a price. I'm about to die because of the words that are written. I believe them with my life. They believed them with their lives and they were all willing to die for it. And that, that's the beauty of what Peter's telling the church. These words, they come with a lot of meaning for us. These words, they took our lives. These words that we're writing, given to us from God are words that eventually have caused us all to give our lives to him. And hopefully it's doing the same thing for you, church. And, and we can look at some of that and we say, man, I can't take the word lightly. Not for once in my life. Don't ever take it lightly. But most importantly, not only is it written with blood and death looming and with great revelation of God. But most importantly... Be mindful of these words because they are the very words of God. Not just mine, Peter says, as I'm about to die because of them. Not just Paul's, as he too will die because of them. Be mindful 
of this, that these are the very words of God. What does 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16 say? All scripture. Can you say that with me? All scripture. All of it is breathed out by God. It's powerful. Why should I take that word so serious? Because that's the breath of God. God formed Adam and he breathed life into him with his breath. God grabbed all these authors and breathed life, breathed the word through them. Amen? Amen. Spurgeon, I'm going to call him like twice today. He says this, oh, says one, but words do not signify. I like the sarcasm from Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers. Oh, says one, but words do not signify. It is the inward sense that is really important. Exactly so, that is just what the fool said about eggshells. He said that they did not signify It was only the inward life germ of the chick within that that was important. So he broke all the shells and thereby destroyed the life. If the words could be taken from us, the sense itself would be gone. So good. So Peter is telling the church and he's reminding the reader as we close up this last letter he's reminding them I'm trying to stimulate your way of thinking I'm trying to really revive the way you think I'm trying to refresh your memory I want you to remember what the prophets what the men of God have said to you and what we are saying to you the commandments through us the apostles I want you not to take this lightly I want you to root your life in these words I want you to establish your families in these words I want you to establish your careers in these words I want you to establish your homes in these words I want you to establish your churches in these words if it's not established in these things it's going to fall it's going to crumble it's going to be broken it needs to be established it needs to be built up it's got to be in these words don't ever take it lightly And we learned that in these last chapters that the words of God that were spoken by these holy men, they're inspired and they're inspired by him, by the Holy Spirit. These are reliable men and they're speaking God's reliable word. The word, the Bible is reliable and must take it to great importance in our lives. And that is the truth. And he goes on and he says this in verse 3. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. And they will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? You ever been there? Ever had a conversation? I'm like, you believe he's coming for real? I remember my grandmother used to tell me those things when I would sleep at her house. Grito viene pronto. Have you ever been told that by someone? Oh, my grandmother used to tell me that. Oh, my mom used to tell me that. I used to go to a church and I remember that pastor used to always preach about Jesus is coming. And he used to hit us over the head. Jesus is coming. And 
And here's Peter. Here's Peter. Mind you, not 2,000 years after his resurrection, actually not that long after his resurrection, and already for mocking that he's taking too long. Imagine what people are saying today. He says, here are these mockers, and they will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, Peter speaking, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. They deliberately forget that God made the heavens long ago by the word of his command. There's the word again. And he brought the earth out from the water and surrounded it with water. Verse 6, then he used the water to destroy the ancient world with a mighty flood. If you've ever studied Noah. And by the same word, there's the word again, the present heavens and earth have been stored up for fire and they're being kept for the day of judgment when ungodly people will be destroyed. This is Peter saying this to the church. We see the urgency in Peter's writing. We see the heart behind his writing. And I don't know about you, if I were to ask you, well, what do you get? What do you get? Actually, let's do that. What are, you, what are you getting from these verses? Verses 3 through 7. Where's Peter's heart? Anyone want to answer that? What do you feel he's... Remember, he's at the end. These are his last words. He's dying. He knows it. He's, he's going to put it all on the line for the, for the hearer to hear. For the reader to read, what are you getting from verses 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7? Go ahead and read it again real quick if you have to. Anyone? He's looking forward to the end. I'm at the end and I'm just looking forward to the end. I, I like that as his, at his end, I'm going to choose to write about the end since it's my end. Okay, good. But he's scared or he's concerned for others. The end is coming, and I'm concerned. Are you aware that it's coming? I, I like that. That he's aware and he's concerned for others, scared for where they might be at and where they may not be at. Anyone else? What do you get out of that? Verses 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. What is, what's going on with Peter as he's writing that letter and he's warning, warning. I feel like Peter's crying out with everything that's in him as a pastor would, as a shepherd would, as a leader would. And I believe Peter is crying, stay on track. Don't lose focus. Ever met someone that started with the Lord and has lost focus? Ever met someone that started racing and has fallen off track? How has it made you feel? Has it broken you from within? Has it hurt you deep within? And this is Peter and he says, too many of us are falling off. Too many of us are losing focus. Stay on track. Don't lose focus. Careful. I like that word. Everyone say careful. Careful. Careful not to give your ear to others. Because what are they? They're actually mockers. They're spitting mockery from their mouth. It's not true. Don't listen to them. 
He, you see how he's like a father writing to, to children almost? Careful not to give ear to the mockers that will make fun of us. For, make fun of us for what? Because we're waiting on the Lord. They're going to mock you because of that. What are you doing? I'm waiting for the Lord. I'm, I'm waiting on the Lord. Don't listen to them. They're going to mock you. They're going to say interesting things. They're going to say funny things. They're going to say some things that might cause some of you to think about wavering. Whatever it is, be careful not to give ear to them. They're a mockery. I believe what makes many take their eyes off the truth is they begin to believe that Jesus is delayed. That Jesus has forgotten I'm going to be very honest with you. Jesus just frankly does not care. And Peter's telling the church he's not forgotten. He does care. He is aware. Trust me. He's going to fulfill every single word that is written in this scripture. Don't take it lightly. All of it will come to pass. Every single one of them will be accomplished as the prophecies of the Old Testament were about him. They will. And people begin to believe all these things and it's always been like that. That's what he says. They're going to come up to you and say it's always been like that since the days of our great, great, great grandparents. When the time of COVID hit, people would always say that you can't look at this and think about it like the end days. Because there's been plagues on the earth before. There was that, what was it? Was it the Spanish flu, whatever it was called, that hit in the early 1900s? And things like this have always happened. Governments have always messed up. And, and I'm like, right. I'm not saying that just because of COVID, it's the end times. I'm just saying since Acts chapter 2, the alarm has been struck and we've experienced the end times. We've, we're in it and we're. We're abiding in it and we're going in it and we're on it and it might intensify and it might get stronger. I'm not saying that the Lord is coming in three years and I'm not going to give you some fake false prophecy to try to entice you to believe that this is the exact date that the Lord comes. Because the Bible is very clear that no one knows the hour, the very moment. But I will say that if there's one thing that I do believe, when his alarm blasts, he will come again and he will what? Settle the score and make wrongs right. And he will show that he sits on his throne and he reigns forever. And that thing I am certain of 100%. I know that. And, and many times, but it's always and always and always been like this. I know it has, but it's getting a little bit darker. It's getting a little bit worse. The family unit is getting destroyed like never before sexuality like never before if you look closely yes it's always been evil it's always been things have always come to attack the truth but more than ever the family unit which God put on earth is being destroyed and because of that I think we're closer to the end than what we might think because that is the last hope on this world it is the family the family is the hope for this earth and it's being attacked like never before. When, 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 the, when the garden, what got attacked? The family got attacked. It's always been the plan. Let's attack the family. If I could attack the family, I could attack the generations. I'll attack the world. And more than ever, families are being struck. 
man, kids are being struck. Now we have to be careful. Now we're walking on eggshells like never before. Now we got to be careful what we say. Am I allowed to say this? Am I not allowed to say that? Am I allowed to wear this or not wear this? What can I do? I'm telling you that if there's one thing for sure that I'm certain in is that the Lord is coming. Don't ask me the hour, but I could tell you that the times testify that his return is coming. It's coming. Oh, well, it's always been like that, we could say. that It's always been said he's coming, and yet he's never come. This must all be a lie. And oftentimes, many people, because they continue to live on, they lose their reverence for the Lord. They lose their reverence for his word. And just like these mockers, they go do the same. It's, Peter says this, they begin to follow their own desires. Have you ever met someone that started in the path with the Lord, and they couldn't persevere in Christ and because they could not persevere, now they're following their own desires. They're doing things that they would have never have done if they were with Christ. Why are they following their desires? Because their lives, maybe they're not mocking him publicly, but their lives are a mockery. Because they're not answering to the call that the Lord has called them to. Amen? So here's their error. The error of these scoffers of these mockers, of those who turn to their own desires, he says this in these verses, 3 through 7, they deliberately forget. I like that word. It means they willingly, they consciously, intentionally ignore. Ignore what God has said and done in the past and that he is able to do it again. And that's what these mockers do. They say, well, God will not do this again. And if he said he's coming again, I believe there's but one truth, and that is exactly this. He is coming again. I love the phrases in verses 5 and 7 specifically. He says this, God made and by the same word. I'll read it to you. Verse 5, he says, <clears throat> they deliberately forgot that God made the heavens long ago, so on and so forth. Verse 7, and by the same word, the present heavens and earth, so on and so forth. I love those phrases, God made and by the same word. And that's what people forget. People forget that God made and by his same word. They overlook events what, that Peter is speaking about here. They look, overlook events such as creation. They look, overlook events like the flood. The people of Noah's time, as he mentions Noah's time here, they did not believe in Noah's warning because they never experienced the flood. Oh, Noah, everyone, you've been saying that for I don't know how many years. It's never going to rain, Noah. Come on, you've lost your mind. you got to get on the medication that the doctor told you to get on. Stop fighting it. Get on the meds. And Noah's like, my God told me it was going to rain. And I don't care if it takes me 100 years to build this boat. It's going to rain. And I'm going to 100 years build, I'm gonna, for 100 years, I'm going to build this boat. You're crazy, Noah. It's been 25 years, and it hasn't rained yet. It's not going to rain. No, no, he told me it was. See, what's beautiful about this is that no one needed to continue to build, though he did not see the evidence of that which God told him. And I'm here to tell you that you continue to build, even though you don't see the evidence of that which God may be telling you. Oh, God's coming. All right. When am I going to see the evidence of that? I don't know. But you keep building. Why? Because at any moment now that sky will break like it did in Noah's day and flood came. And with that, on the next one, the sky will break and Christ will come. It's two different kinds of rains. 
The one, first one was water. This one is Jesus coming to reign for the millennial kingdom. They forget about all of these things, these mockers. They forgot, as the false teachers later would, that God created the entire universe by his word. Word. Not necessarily his hands, his word. The whole world, all of creation, is what Peter's saying is it's sustained by his word. Likewise, as he ends in verse 7, likewise, the world's judgment and destruction would also be by his word. So because of that, because of verses 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7, just because of those verses, I will say this to you, and I hope it encourages you, and it's this. God is in control no matter what happens to this world. God is in control because his word is true and sustains everything that is living. So at the end of the day, I've come to realize that no one has control. People are learning all of this today, that medicine does not have control. Doctors don't have control. Man does not have control. No one has control. His word sustains everything that is living. God is in control. Let's remember and consider what the psalmist writes. Peter says this in the New Testament, but the psalmist said this way before him in Psalm 33. I'm going to take a chunk out of it, and I'm going to read it to you. It's verses 6 through 12. You're going to like this. Look what the psalmist says. Tell me if it does not sound like what Peter's saying. He just says it in such beautiful poetry. The heavens were made by the word of the Lord, and all the stars by the breath of his mouth. Is he not saying the same thing Peter's saying? He gathers the waters of the sea into a heap, and he puts the depths into storehouses. Let the whole earth tremble before the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in all of him. For he spoke and it came into being. He commanded and it came into existence. The Lord frustrates the counsel of the nations. He thwarts the plans of the peoples. Guys, if we're not living in verse 10 today, like, like oh, snap, he, he should have just put in 2021, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. Did you notice that the counsel of the Lord is not broken, confused? It's not shattered. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart, what are they? From generation to generation. Happy is the nation whose God is Yahweh. The people that he's chosen to be his own possession. Have we exchanged our God, Yahweh, for power and money? Happy is the nation whose God is Yahweh. Maybe our nation is not happy because God is no longer our Yahweh. You could think that in the pledges it says our God and all those things, you know. But it's God in this nation. I think it's the number one nation that kills the most babies. It's the number one, I mean, but God is in this nation. But God is in this nation. God's in this nation and his people. 
but not necessarily in those that rule in this nation. But I will say this. God is in control no matter what happens. Here's the thing about God, though. I get very frustrated because I get on my phone and I could order food and it gets to my house in 30 minutes. And I get very frustrated because nowadays I don't even have to go shopping anymore. I click that little carrot app. It just charges a lot of money, though, man, to kill you. And then they bring the food right to your doorsteps. Everything is in the, my fingertips. It's quick. But here's the thing. Sometimes I want God to be the same way. And, and he does things different than how we would do it. And he thinks different than the way we think. It's far beyond ours. Though, my God, sometimes it could be darn frustrating. You know that another prophet said this? Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9 is going to, Peter's going to echo exactly what the prophet Isaiah said. I believe that Peter writes verse 8 and 9 because in his heart, he knew Isaiah 55 very well. And this is what Isaiah says. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Who needs to hear that today? For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. You know, I could pause on that for a moment and say scientists have continued to drop cameras down to the ocean floor and they still can't figure out the mystery of the ocean floor and yet we're trying to figure out the mind of God. Every once in a while, a new creature from the abyss comes out and washes offshore and we all freak out because it's a new, it's a new creation that, we've, that have come to our knowledge. And God, I feel like, sometimes does that. He just spits it out every once in a while. And he's like, go to the shore. And they, sit, they come up to the shore, and God's like, remember who knows and whose counsel has not been removed from this earth. Remember whose ways are greater than yours. Remember whose thoughts are greater than yours. Amen? I don't know. I just feel like God has that kind of ability to do that. So Peter says in verse 8 and 9, you guys love the word of God or what? Yeah. All right. So Peter says in verse 8 and 9, you must not forget this one thing. Dear friends, a day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. How many of you really do not want to hear that verse today? Because you're waiting for your husband because you're waiting for your finances, because you're waiting for a miracle, and that's the reality. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. He says, no, he's being patient. And you know, I'm going to pause there because the heart of God is so beautiful. He's being patient because the heart of God is, is on us. His, his, his eye is fixed on us. Why is God taking so long to do exactly what I'm asking? 
And he says, he's not slow about the promise. Why is he delaying that which he's promised me in scripture and in my heart? He says he's being patient. And the only reason why he's being patient, I love what Peter says, it's for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed. But he wants everyone to, be, to repent. I promise you I'm coming back. That's my promise. But I'm coming back when, when the Father says it's time to come back. What seems like forever for us, we learn in Isaiah 55. We learn in 2 Peter 3, 8, 9. That what seems like forever for us is but a short time for God. Just an hour, just an hour an hour, one hour, may seem like an eternity for a child. One hour. But an hour for adults is just a moment. Hour for us flies. When I drive with my son in the car, he says, Dad, how much longer till we get there? I, I'm not lying to you. I'm like 20 minutes. For me, 20 minutes is like a blink. He's like, we're going to get there. It's 20 minutes only. And my son in the back, he says, no, this is the worst day. How can it be 20 minutes? And I'm like confused. I'm like, 20 minutes is nothing, man. We go to Orlando. We, 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 we drive off the driveway. We close the gate of our house. I put it on drive and... I, 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 I could just do this. Nancy, ready? One, two, three. And you'll hear say, how much longer till we get there? And you're just like, we're at home still. And then we say, depends how fast I drive. <laughs> if you have to do pee-pee, it's going to be longer. So let's say about four hours. Four, you know, if you get hungry, it's going to be a little bit longer. So let's say four and a half. Four hours? No. I'm like, that's nothing. That's nothing. Amen? Lord, how much longer? And he's like, one more day. And we're like, no, that's a thousand years for me. <laughs> no. Why did you say that? A thousand more years. And Peter quotes this from Isaiah and also from Psalm chapter 90 verse 4. Specifically, the psalmist writes in chapter 90 verse 4, for a thousand years in your sight, or like yesterday when it is past and it's like a watch in the night. All time is nothing before the Lord. Because in the presence as is the nature of God, everything is eternity. I was just sharing this with a sister this week. Like everything is eternity. Like we're like, oh my God, I'm already 40. When is it going to happen? And God's like... Do you understand the way I operate? Everything here has always been like, like, like I'm outside of time. This is reality. You're just like, you're just fighting the good fight. 
But the reward is here, and the reward has no time frame. The reward has no beginning and no end. The reward is eternity. So understand that though you're struggling because you're 40 and you've been crying for my promise, know that nothing has changed here. It's still active and available. It's present. I have not forgotten. It's here, and I'm holding it actually in my hand as I'm speaking to you. It's a, it's a concept of God that us as humanity don't understand. It's the depth of God that it's very hard for us to get. But it, everything, everything in his presence is eternal. Therefore, please catch this, church. Nothing is long. So when we cry to God, it's long for us. But he's like, oh, well, you're praying. It's not long for him. Nothing is short before him. No lapse of ages can stop him or impair him to fulfill his purposes. I love what Tony Evans says. He says, remember God can do in one day what it would take humans a thousand years to do. God's apparent slowness to intervene on some occasions provides an opportunity for humans to fulfill their responsibilities the supreme example of this principle is that God delays final judgment because he does not want, exactly what Peter says, any to perish, but that all would come to repentance and would believe the gospel. So every single one of us with every kind of story that every single one of you has and represents are a gospel for someone else that's lost and you hold it inside of you and you have the treasure of heaven that awaits someone who's living in misery today. You have the gospel and the testimony of who Christ is with whatever circumstance that you and I are going through. That's the truth of this scripture. Many are waiting on God. Oh God! When in reality... God is waiting on us. So remember this. God is not slow. His timing is perfect. Verse 10, Peter says, And now that I've said all of that, <laughs> I love Peter, the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly as a thief. And the heavens will pass away with a terrible noise, and the very elements themselves will disappear in fire, and the earth and everything on it will be found to deserve judgment. And Peter says, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord is God's judgment. It's the day when the Lord will come, and, and God's judgment will not be delayed forever when he comes, and we all stand before him when when Christ returns, we see in Scripture it's sudden, it's quick, it's without warning. It strikes like a thief strikes. A thief doesn't come to your house and say, hey, I'm going to turn on the lights now and speak loudly because I want you to know that today I'm going to rob you. No, thieves come quickly. They come fast when you least expect it. They snatch, they take away, they appear, they're gone. And Peter says, when Christ comes, it's just like that. It's like a thief who comes quickly. He strikes, and he strikes quickly. And not only that, but the heavens, the skies, all of that that we know of, that we look at, and we say it's beautiful, will all pass away because something more beautiful is coming. Psalm 102, Hebrews chapter 1, Revelation 6 talks about this. 
the heavenly bodies, the stars and everything that's up there, all of those things that at night we could gaze and all those things that we could research, all of it will be burned up and dissolved. All of it, it will be no more. I'm telling you right now that all of that stuff that science is studying, one day will all be dissolved. There is no need for none of it in the future. There will be no place even to hide the whole earth and every person. All of our works on earth will be exposed to God's judgment will be found by God. And when is this going to happen? On the day of the Lord. It's coming, baby. It's coming, beloved. It's coming, church. The day of the Lord will come. And it will come as a thief in the night. Though the Lord's long-suffering and his love aimed at the lost, towards the lost, it makes it seem that perhaps he's delaying. And I don't know if he's really coming or not, but the truth is, that he will come, and when Jesus does return, he will come at a time that will surprise many. And Peter says it's like a thief. The ultimate result of his coming will be a total transformation of this world that we are presently living in and everything we know. All of this, as I've just shared and as Peter shared, all of it, heavens will pass he says with a great noise, I can't tell you exactly what that is. We could all speculate of what that great noise can be. Who knows? But it will pass away with the great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. But the Lord is coming, know that. Verse 11, since everything around us is going to be destroyed, like what a beautiful scripture. We build our lives on this earth, and yet Scripture says this earth will be destroyed. Don't build your life on that which will be destroyed. Don't build castles when castles will melt. All right? Since everything around us is going to be destroyed like this, since you all know this now, here's Peter being Peter, what holy and godly lives should you be living? <laughs> oh. Now that you say that, Peter, now that you say that, verse 12, this is what we should be doing, looking forward to this, looking forward to the day of God and, and hurrying it along. I mean, I think so. The revelation says what? The spirit and the bride cry, come quickly. Why? Because we desire for this day, hurrying it along. On that day, he will set the heavens on fire and the elements will melt away in the flames, repeating, repetition. But we are looking forward. Everyone say looking forward. Never back. Backwards is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. This stuff that's coming, if you look back, you're not fit for that. The eternal kingdom, the new Jerusalem, you're looking back, you're not entering it. Those that enter into the new Jerusalem, they look forward. We're looking forward. What are we looking forward to? To the day of God and hurrying it. What are we looking forward to? To the new heavens. Come on. You think these heavens are beautiful? I do. They are the workmanship of, him, of, of God. They are his creation. But yet, there's a new heavens that is way beyond our heaven today. There's a new earth. I think this earth is beautiful. The wonders of this earth. And I haven't been able to even experience it all. Some of you have gone to the Grand Canyon. Some of you have dove into the Great Barrier Reef. 
Some of you have, have, have experienced God's wonder. I've been able to stand in, 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 um, in California, I forget, Yosemite Park, and stare at that like, this is God's hand. So, so you've seen some of the wonders in this world, but yet he says, what are we looking forward to? A new heaven and a new earth. He's promised it. It's a world that is filled with God's righteousness. I don't know if you've lived long enough in this world to come to know that we're living in a world that is not filled with God's righteousness. We're living in a world that leadership has taken the stance to live unrighteous and to declare unrighteousness and to turn its back against the one true and living God and to his word. But in this new earth, God fills it with righteousness. How many of you could say amen? amen. Hallelujah. This world and the order of this world and the things that are associated with it, all of it will be dissolved. So we should live our lives, as Peter says, holy and godly, seeking first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, having godly conduct, having godliness deep within us. Come on, church. This is the world. This is the time that we're living in. Spurgeon, again, this is the second quote I told you about. He says this. The king is coming. He's coming to his throne and to his judgment. Now a man does not go up to the king's door and there talk tre treason. And men do not sit in a king's audience chamber when they expect him every, any moment to enter. And there they speak ill of him. The king is on his way and he's almost here. You who are at his door, he is at yours. And what manner of people ought ye to be? How can ye sin against one who is close at hand? So this will happen. It is a promise that God made long ago to his people. Amen. Not me. God. God did. Isaiah 65, 17 says, For behold, I create the new heavens and the new earth. Isaiah even said the same thing. And the former things shall not be remembered. I, look how... How do you know that something is going to be amazing, beautiful, grand, spectacular? I can't think of any other um, adjective. How do you know it's going to blow your socks off? How do you know? Yeah. Look what, Peter, look what uh, Isaiah says. The former things shall not be remembered. How good is this new stuff going to be? The former things won't even come into your mind. <sighs> What's to come is so grand that you're not even going to think about it. Oh, let me tell you why. The children of Israel were walking to the promised land. And yet on their journey to something mind-blowing, they're like, oh, we were so better in Egypt. And God's like, not this time. This time in the promised land, when you get there to the new heavens and the new earth, the new Jerusalem, it's so amazing you're not going to be like that. You're not going to say, oh, I was so better on planet earth. I wish he would just send us all back there. The former things won't even come to mind. I think, I think we're headed to a good place. How about you? I think we're going to be just okay. I think we're going to make it. 
I think there's something special right around the corner. I think if we listen closely, I think he's there. He's present. He's coming. He's there. And if not, we're going. But Lord, he's preparing that. And my God, is it going to be majestic? Get excited for that, church. You're going to get excited for anything. Get excited for that. The most glorious characteristic of this new heaven, this new earth, it's that it's a place where righteousness dwells. In God's plan of all the ages, here it is. This is going to happen, and it's going to happen after the millennial, after his millennial kingdom. And his righteousness is going to fill because there's going to be finally a ruler. And the ruler's name, once and for all, is going to be Jesus Christ, our Lord. Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4 says this, as John is given this vision. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Notice all the different authors that wrote about this. They were all crazy if this is all a lie. All of them were crazy and living hundreds of years apart. They're nuts. Either this is true or they're all insane. Every single one of them. Peter's insane. Ezekiel's insane. Isaiah is insane. John is insane. They're all saying the same things. I saw a new heaven, a new earth, and the first heaven, the first earth had passed away, and there was no more sea. There's not going to... Fishermen, fisherwomen, no more sea. Then I, John, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It was prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. Righteousness. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You've ever had tears drip out of your eyes? You've laid down in bed and just cried in bed. Your pillow is soaked because of your tears. Come on, you've lived in tears. Scripture says there's a promise. On that great day, he will wipe every tear from your eye. There will be no more death. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more crying. Maybe your tears were marked because of death. Maybe your tears were marked because of sorrow. Maybe your tears were marked for all these things. But there will be no more pain for the former things have passed away. And God's people say, Amen. So verses 12 and 13, as we get ready to close, look forward. How do I look? Look forward. No, that's not what I meant. I meant how do I look? Oh, just in case, look forward. Sometime, next time someone tells you, how do I look? Just say, look forward always. Mess with them. Your wife, your husband, how, that, how, how does it look? Look forward. Look forward to the day of the Lord. Look forward to the new heavens and the new earth. Look forward to the day where the righteousness of Christ will fill the land for all eternity. Verse 14, so dear friends, while you are waiting and looking forward for these things to happen, it would be so Peter to say this as he closes, make every effort. If you've been here for the series, you know exactly what I mean by that. To be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. Say with me one last time as we close off this letter. Make every effort. 
effort. In the Old Testament, the sacrifice had to be pure and blameless. Here we are as sacrifices of God. I am your sacrifice and we are too, like the Old Testament sacrifice, to be pure and blameless. True repentance before our Lord is how we should be living. 15 and 16 says, and remember, he's causing us, or he's calling us to remember again. And remember, remember our Lord's patience. Our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. I love that Peter says what he's about to say next because so many people have spent so much wasteless time speaking about the beef, the riff, the problems between Peter and Paul. But I want you to know how it ended. It actually ended really good. At the end of Peter's life, he's honoring Paul. He says this, remember our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. And this is what our, our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you. And how does he describe Paul in his writing? With wisdom that God gave him. And sometimes Paul's writing, Peter knew this. The church knew this. Verse 16, speaking of these things in all of his letters, Paul, Peter is talking about Paul now. Some of his comments are hard to understand. I mean, study the book of Romans, for example. It's, it could be difficult. Some of his comments are hard to understand. And those who are ignorant and unstable, you know what they've done? Look what Peter says. It doesn't change. It's the same word today. We're still saying the same thing. Ignorant and unstable people have twisted Paul's letters to mean something quite different. Just as they do with other parts of Scripture. And then Peter says, but this will end in, this, in their destruction. I think about the scripture where it says, let no one add or take away from this, <laughs> lest him be accursed. Peter acknowledges Paul, and he acknowledges him as beloved Paul, who wrote with wisdom. I like that because it reminds the church, oh, I got to settle some things before the end. I got to settle some rifts before it's too late. Let me settle this thing. Later in his years, whatever was going on between them was over. And Peter writes to honor Paul. So they squared it. They took care of it. And Peter says, and I understand that his letters are hard at times to understand, but never be like them who distort or who twist the truth so that it could fit your understanding or so that it could fit your liking. Scripture was never meant to fit your liking. You're called to fit into Scripture's liking. I just want to make sure you knew that. So what is the church to do? We search the Scriptures daily because if I need to be like anything, I need to be like the Scripture says. Amen.
So Peter's last words, his final words, is actually verse 17 and 18. And he says this. You already know these things, dear friends. You already know these things. Everything that I've said, I've said it before. Do you know like next Sunday I'm coming, if I'm alive and we're here and we're all well? We'll be back here next Sunday, you know that. But you know like, I'm not preaching anything new next Sunday. I hope you know that. <laughs> it's a different message. Maybe some different verses. But it's all the same stuff that's been preached. Some of you don't know that I've grabbed messages from eight years ago, ten years ago, and I've applied them to you today. All I did was change the title because I felt like we needed to hear it again. Did you even know that I did that? Still preaching the same word. I'll show them. He says this. You already know these things. Everything I've shared is stuff that we've been shared to you. I've shared it. Paul shared it. Isaiah shared it. Been to, it's always been said to you. So what does he tell them? So be on guard. Be aware. That you will not be carried away by the errors of these wicked people. That you will not lose your own secure footing. So that you're not led away by these kind of people. These are men that talk like they're Christians. But they're actually rebellious and live ungodly lives. That you will not fall from your own stability. I'm going to be very honest with you as your brother in the Lord. Be careful like what you're taking as truth every single day. Be careful what you're like overwhelming yourself with at every single moment. Be careful like the voices that you hear at all times. Be, like be aware of these things. Be on guard. Hopefully it's the right stuff. Hopefully, hope, hopefully it's the right words. Hopefully it's the right voices. Like be careful. Like, I'm not going to go on a rant. Stay stable. In a stable position. What is the key to a godly life? You should write this down in your notes. Maybe it's, oh, I should love the Lord my God with all of my heart, my strength, my soul. Amen. That's a good one. Write that too. That's good. I don't know. What is the key to a godly life? You should write this down. The key to a godly life. Be stable. Be stable. Be stable. Persevere. Be consistent in the things of God. Don't waver because of every wave that comes crashing against your ship. Be stable because you're rooted in truth and your roots are not rooted in shallow ground. Your roots are deep and when the winds come blowing, and when the rain comes crashing, you stay stable because you're not like the world. You're not like others. You're stable because you're rooted in his word and you're rooted in Christ. I'm living in a time where everyone is trying to convince me what I should do. Me. And I feel like telling everyone, I know what I'm rooted in and I know who I'm rooted in. And my roots will continue 
to stay rooted, stay stable, be confident, continue to go in Christ. I believe in this word. Why should I? Don't tell me not to believe in this stuff. Don't tell me not to take this stuff for real. I'm rooted in this stuff. That's how we should live. That's how we should go. Amen? The key to my life is to be stable in all these spiritual things. And regardless of what people are telling me, how they're telling me I should live, how they're telling me I, I need to focus because it's so easy for me to lose focus because I'm like that. I'm, I, I could, I could, but I have to stay stable because I'm rooted in this. And why should I turn my back on the things of God? Verse 18, rather, you must grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And Peter ends his last words with all glory to him, both now as I'm ready to die and forever when you see me again in eternity. All glory to him always. And then he ends with a beautiful word after writing two beautiful letters to this church in Asia Minor. He says, so be it. So be it. Amen. All that was said, let it be done. So be it. How many of you can rejoice in this word? What do I do? It's the end. Continue to grow spiritually. If you wake up tomorrow and you do one of those, think about this word today and say, oh, I'm not done. I have to grow spiritually today. And number two, I need to look forward today to what's to come. Because God gave me another day. God gave me another breath. So he's not done with me just yet. Amen? So, he ends his letter just as he started. Church, focus on your spiritual growth. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. I won't read it all. I was going to. But that is the place where he says, don't be short-sighted. Don't be blind. Verses 1 through 15, in the beginning of his letter, is where he's reminding the church to never stop growing in their faith, never stop growing in their spiritual walk. He starts his letter telling the church, Grow, grow, grow. And then he ends his letter with saying, remember, you must grow, grow, grow in grace and in the knowledge of God. Keep growing. Keep growing. But everyone is not growing around me. You keep growing anyways. Trust me. You have seeds to give that will bring growth to others around you. Keep growing. Keep looking forward to what is to come. How many of you could say amen? Can you stand with me this morning? Come to a place of prayer. Come to this place of truth. Come to this place before his word, before his presence. Lord, I thank you. Because you spoke through the letters of Peter for 13 weeks to us. We took our time. We tried to make sure that 
We are very careful with every word. But Lord, I pray that we would never personally take your word for granted, that we would never take it lightly, that we would come to distrust some of it. But that our whole being would trust in you and trust in your word. That Lord, you breathe into the lives of these writers. I thank you for men like Peter that you gave us on this earth. Men who are pillars in the faith who really answered, who really laid down some very important things for us to build our lives upon. Lord, as we close off this series today, what a fitting time for what we're going through and in the times that we're living in. What a fitting time to study these scriptures. And to remember today that as this is the end, however long the end takes, I'm still responsible to keep going forward to to grow and to grow spiritually. My spiritual growth does not end. I'm still responsible to look forward and await, await the things that you have prepared for us. You've called me as I look forward to live a life which is stable in you, consistent in you, a life which perseveres, that I may never cease from looking forward, that we would never look back or be sidetracked, but that we would always look forward to the things of God. Lord, thank you for your word today. I believe that in this room there were things that were said that we needed to hear. Hopefully it brought hope to us. Hopefully it brought encouragement. Hopefully it brought truth. That we can know that in this moment, in this circumstance that I'm in, this is what I'm called to do. This is what I'm called to believe and trust in. And maybe there's some of us here who come to you and just, like before, will say to you, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I pray that you would do just that. That they believe in you but yet there's things in them that they've just lost faith in. But yet they know you're real. But there's just stuff that's just hard for them to understand. I pray that you would give them faith again. That you would grow them again. And let them say, Lord, I believe. And I also believe in this. Lord, we thank you. Because you never cease from being a good God. You're faithful and you're true. We thank you for this beautiful day, this beautiful moment together. We pray for those that are not here. We continue to pray for those that are sick, those that are getting better. We thank you for those that are still fighting. Continue to give strength. Continue to be with them and their families. We pray for 
our leadership, our nation. We pray for those in government. We pray, Lord God, for our president. We pray that our president will be struck with the fear of God. That those around him would also live and be struck with the fear of God. We pray for their heart, for their salvation. We pray for governors, mayors, city officials. We pray for the cabinet around him, the voices that he hears. For whoever and however people and are in power and are in power, none of them are greater than you. We pray that in this time you would strengthen, that you would humble, that you would bring prophets again that would speak truth into powerful men because they know that they serve a powerful God. I pray that, Lord God, that you would do great miracle in this nation, that you would help the church to unite, that you would help cities to heal, and that you would cause a revival and awakening, and that, Lord, we would see that the leadership of this place and of this nation, of this land in which we love so much, that they would come to really encounter you. We, we pray these prayers and say, why do you pray that? Because, Lord, if it happened to a man like Nebuchadnezzar and if it happened to other kings, I'm thinking about Darius and I'm thinking about so many kings that came to a place where they encountered you. I think about Paul who was killing Christians. And actually thought he was doing you a favor. If you're able to change Paul, you're able to do a miracle in, this, in the deepest secret places where sin and evil is being planned. I pray, Lord God, that you would bring truth to this land, healing to this land, and that we would be a people that would not lose focus, but that we would know that the element of that truth is not just in the prayer, but it's living inside of us. Every single person that could hear this, we have in us the medicine that this sick world needs. Jesus lives in us. I pray that we could cast out demons again. That we could heal the sick again. That we could call the things of God again and see the great signs and wonders of God like never before in our lifetime. But let us come to the place where our life is sold out. It's a sacrifice unto you. And that we would be the vessels in which you use for such a time as this. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And together we say, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Give God some praise. So worthy.